Hello and welcome to the Get It Straight podcast. I'm Jason Sroden, joined by my co-host Judd Johns. Judd, how are you today? Great, Jake. Been a minute. I know it has been a minute. It's been since AAO. I'd like to welcome everybody back. Thank you for joining us today. We have, I think, one of the all-star doctors with us today. One of the guys who gave us our start in marketing for orthodontist, Dr. Todd Bovenizer is with us. Dr. Bovenizer, how are you? Doing great. Thanks, Jay. And uh, great to see you, Judd. Good to see you, man. Um, Dr. Bovenizer, for those who don't know you, tell us about your practice, where it's at, and when you got started. Absolutely. Just quick story. I was born and raised in the mountains of uh, West Virginia and Virginia, uh, about three and a half hours northwest of Raleigh, North Carolina. And, you know, long story short, went to Virginia Tech. It was easy to get to out of the mountains. And then I went to West Virginia for dental school, had no idea I wanted to be an orthodontist. Fell into orthodontics, love it, and started my own practice from scratch in 2006. I graduated in uh, April of 06. I started building my practice in Cary, North Carolina in December of 2005. So yes, I was building the practice while I was a resident. I was actually doing construction, meeting with the architects, meeting with the contractors, uh, construction was rolling while I was a resident in West Virginia, and construction was finished around May 1 of 06. So it took me about five months to build a practice. Started from scratch uh, from there and uh, had zero patients, knew no one in the area. Uh, my sister uh, was living down here, so that's about the only contact I had. Man, I had never heard that story. That's crazy. How did you... I mean, it takes a lot of gumption to go and start your practice as a resident. What made you make the moves to do that or decide that that was the path for you? You know, as I was a resident, I was always a student of just, you know, research. I was always on G&H, you know, website. I was constantly just looking at a bunch of things orthodontically and just doing a lot of research, you know, keeping spreadsheets. And my wife and I visited Cary and fell in love with it. We were looking at some practices in Virginia on the coast, Chesapeake and Virginia Beach and things like that. And I interviewed and, and kind of got down the road quite a bit with those, but just decided ultimately I, I wanted to do my own thing and um, and go off on my own. I just, the, the partner track right out of residency just didn't appeal to me uh, just for what I wanted to do. So... I reached out to everybody in the area and just kind of told them what I was thinking. And, you know, it's a competitive area where I am. And unfortunately, you know, people then were discouraging me from coming somewhat. They were like, hey, it's busy. And it was. I mean, in no defense, it's like when people tell me they want to come to my area, I say, hey, there's some good pockets for you around us. But, you know, just be careful because it is a competitive market. What's interesting about Carrie, because I've used Carrie as a, a model for other 
demographics that are successful because you have a really good group of people in carry it's it's got a, a higher than uh, above average income level it's a yeah. very good quality of living the weather is decent um, it's got everything that's perfect so you you ended up falling into the right spot um, where where are your like I know you have a partner how did you meet uh, dr. Baker well, early on, you know, I started with zero patients and I would get in the office at about 6.30 in the morning, roughly. And I would work to about 6.30 at night. So I was working about 12 hour days, seeing zero patients and then zero turned into three, three turned into six. But early on, uh, you know, I just fell, I fell into some great consultants. So about year two, around 2007, the end of 07, I fell on Mary Beth Kirkpatrick. Mm -hmm. And Mary Beth started working with her and she really instilled in me data. She's like, you know, you need to be looking at this data in your practice. So I was really into patient statuses, you know, retention status, patient scheduled status, pending status. And we were looking at that through all these spreadsheets and then orthometrics came. So I was one of her first users on orthometrics. And what now orthometrics, orthometrics was, is now Gage. Oh. So they, they, the first name of her platform was Orthometrics, but there was some, I think there was some copyright things there going on. So they had to change the name from Orthometrics. It there had may like or may not be with Get It Straight, by the way, Jay. That's for another conversation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Our podcast. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so, you know, Mary Beth worked with me early on and I was tracking my practice extremely well, looking at data every day, looking at data every every morning and every night. And she told me about seven years in, she's like, you need somebody. And I had no idea. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, when you start a practice from scratch and you really don't have any contacts in the area, any colleagues to refer to, you, you know, I didn't know I needed somebody. How, how many, how many new patient starts were, were you at when she blew the whistle? I was seeing about a hundred patients a day, um, mm. four days a week, mm. you know, up to, you know, one, one ten, And, you know, with, with the methodical approach on how I do clinical orthodontics, it just wasn't working. You know, it's just, you're going too fast. You're missing things. And she knew that. So, you know, we were probably at 700 patient starts when I, when I bought in, you know, probably in that range, six to 700. Gotcha. And then, and then she, and then you brought in Baker. I bought in Baker around year eight. Um, actually year eight or nine, I bought him in and he's been with me for eight years. And he's a very good ortho, which we all know as well. Um, yeah. It's in his blood, man, Judd. So, um, you know, Baker's dad, uh, was an orthodontist in Hilton Head, South Carolina, and Baker's brother is down in Florida. Um, so he's a he's a stud, and I knew it was in his bloodline where it wasn't in mine. You know, mm -hmm. I came from a family of pharmacists. My mm -hmm. dad, you know, worked in the coal mines in West Virginia to pay his way to get a Wake Forest down in North Carolina. My dad went to Wake Forest when he was seventeen years old. Oh, wow! And uh, yeah, and he got married at twenty. He was still in college when he got married to my mother. Uh, she was at Marshall, the Thundering Herd. Um, wow. And, um, you know, they got married. And, um, you know, I grew up in that mentality of family pharmacy. My dad worked six days a week. 
And the best thing about my dad was on Saturdays, he got off at five. So I got to see my dad at about 5.15 on Saturdays. And my dad took one week off a year. It was about the third week of June and we went to Moto Beach. And that was the only time my dad took off. I was never on planes as a kid. Um, we never did any other vacations except for that one week in Moto Beach. And that was the life I grew up in, you know, the family pharmacy. My two sisters and I worked in that pharmacy uh, every summer and after school when needed. And that was that was the life we did. Did you guys have a soda fountain? We we did uh, originally. And then we That's got rid awesome. of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like that small town feel pharmacy. I can, I can see it so clearly in my head. You, you've been a big educator. You're a, you're a speaker for, I think, not only um, Ormco, but a few others. What is the importance for you in education and curiosity? Because that seems to be a backbone of your professional career. Yeah, I mean, I've had a plaque on my wall that my mom had for me when I was a kid. Back in uh, when I grew up um, in the 80s, I had a waterbed and I had this plaque on the wall. And it was, this, it was this little boy leaning over a wall. And it said, the important thing is to never stop questioning. Because I was always accused of asking so many questions when I was a kid. And I was just very curious. And I believe Albert Einstein was the, was the person that coined that term that said, hey, never stop questioning. But, uh, you know, for me, education spurs my passion on how to run a practice, how to be the CEO of a practice, and how to be a good clinical orthodontist. So when you're teaching, you see all the things you do wrong. So people think you're doing all this great stuff, but when you're looking at photographs of every single appointment, of every single tooth that you're bracketing or treating, you see all these problems with what you're doing. And you get better. And it's it's hard when you lecture. You know, our team, we take photographs on every single appointment. Probably on 70% of our patients, they're taking photographs after every appointment. And it's it's hard. It's hard on them. It's hard on me. I've got to load all those photos after hours. And before the, the morning starts, I load those photos into a share file and eventually into a keynote. And you're just you're studying constantly. But I, I thrive on that. I literally thrive on teaching. And I want to be known, you know, when I started educating, you know, you can go down several different tracks, you can be, hey, the marketing track, and you know, and we do marketing really well. I mean, that's, you know, you know, that Jay, I mean, we've, we've used your abilities, and we've done market maps and things like that with Gage and really kind of grown our practice um, with the right partners. But I've always wanted to be known as a clinical orthodontist. I mean, my passion is clinical excellence. And that's that's what I primarily uh, teach on. You, you mentioned um, how, how to be a, a good practice CEO. I was just mm -hmm. curious, just off the top of your head, you know, three tips to that you follow of what helps you be a better practice CEO. I think number one, finding the right partners. You know, I just mentioned you with Brain Bites, Mary Beth Kirkpatrick uh, with Gage and um, Impact 360. You know, John McGill, Brad Cacharo at McGill and Hill. Uh, you know, I was lucky to fall into their lap, you know, 15 years ago and I followed their plan, you know, and, and using, we've always said, hey, let's use the best of the best. So as far as, in my opinion, the bracket system, you know, I use the Damon Ultima bracket. 
it happens to be very expensive. You know, Hugh 3D Instruments, Transbond Adhesive, um, you know, and use the best, the best consultants that you can find out there. Um, so that's number one. Number two is just keeping a pulse on your business. Uh, I'm a big fan of Gage. And, um, you know, I, I look at data every single day. Uh, I look and see what my practice is doing. I look and see how many patients are calling, where are those calls coming from? Are they word of mouth? Are they on social media? Are they on Google? Are they from dentists? And I look at um, I look at our practice stats and just get a finger on the pulse. And the way I lead is in the morning, I do two minute managers. So I'm not a big drawn out guy. I like to go in uh, to my finance coordinator and just say, hey, you know, I was on gauge uh, this morning and our 30 days patient accounts, not insurance accounts, but our 30 days patient accounts, they're looking a little out of whack. Why don't you uh, run a report and get it on my desk? And just letting everybody know that you, you're looking at the practice. Now, what do I do with that report? With that report? Not much. Um, I already know what's in the report. But by me going in there saying, hey, our 30 days is out of whack, she knows that I'm looking at it. And pretty soon, about a week later, our 30 days gets level. Same thing with our TCs, our observation coordinator, just going in there. and Mindfulness. Yes. It's, it's just keeping everybody's head in the game. And it's yes, human. It's mindset. It's human. Yep. Yeah, mindset. Hmm. I, I got, Jay, a follow-up yeah, question on what you were asking, Bo. Um, this is something that's always fascinating about, about you. You know, and this is, you know, if you look at the greater orthodontic community, in certain cases, there can be a reticence to engage with, I'll call it a more expensive bracket system or aligner system or consultant. Um, what, I mean, at, at the end of the day, what I, what I've seen with you is you've never pulled punches on that because you all have always have targeted excellence for what's around you. Obviously it's not cheap to do that. You have a very big practice in the process. How would you sort of narrate the, the financial impact of your decisions on what you've decided to do with what you tools and people and, and what it's all meant in the long run for someone who's deciding if they're going to pull the trigger on dental monitoring or Damon Ultima or getting a world-class uh, advisor in your practice. How did you think about that and how did it wind up? Well, I think going back, you know, when I started my practice, I've always been very strategic about money spent. You know, and if you're, if you're going to talk about profitability, profitability is, you know, the amount of profits you're taking in after expenses. Yeah. So when I first started my practice, you know, I, I'll be honest, I started my practice in carriers, 2,500 square feet. I got a build out from the landlord, but I started my practice on $250,000. Mm -hmm. So my original bank note was $250,000. And I worked in that practice in Cary four days a week. I was seeing zero patients. But then on Fridays, I went and worked with another orthodontist in Raleigh, and I made money. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I, we had one child at the time. We thought we, thought we had all the money in the world working that one day a week. And mm -hmm. we, paid, we paid everything we needed to pay on that, on that salary I was getting. Sometimes I'd work a day and a half a week. Um, sometimes it was Saturdays, and that was like a half day. Um, so I've always been mindful of overhead, but not at the expense of quality. And, and going back to something Jay said, you know, Kerry, when he was doing his analysis on Kerry, Kerry's a wonderful area. We have a lot of PhDs, 
higher median average income, uh, just very great people, good area. But we've also got great orthodontists around us. And, you know, I always tell people when they come in for a third opinion, hey, Dr. So-and-so, they're, they're great. And I, I tell them, I'm like, don't, don't tell me what they said. Because I'm just a, I'm just a redneck from West Virginia. And you're going to give me a really good idea that I've never thought of from that other orthodontist. So mm -hmm. don't tell me. But, you know, I always try to lead with integrity. And we give away a lot of free treatment. You know, if you're a missionary in my practice, you know, we've had a couple people from Ukraine that have come in with braces on. Guess what? They don't pay me. Yeah. You know, if, if you do the right thing and you keep your expenses in check, you're going to be profitable in this field. Um, I always, you know, we have four pillars that we talk about in our practice. I don't do a lot of phase one. We do 8% phase one. So 8% of our patients that are coming in at seven, nine, seven, eight, nine, 10 years old, 8% of them get phase one. And it's essentially cross bites and underbites. But I tell families all the time in our growth and development program, I'm going to boil it down to four things for you. Number one, does your kid have all the baby teeth gone? Mm -hmm. Number two, are the 12 year molars in? So they've got to check those two boxes most of the time. Now, we all know when we have impacted teeth, you know, we may start a case with a baby tooth in there or whatever. But by and large, 80% of the time, those two things have to be met. And then box three is extremely important. Is your child in adolescence? Are they in puberty? I'm going to be doing mandibular growth with an advanced synchro herbst. And the research tells me I need to be in an adolescent growth spurt. Mm -hmm. And then number four, extremely important, can your child mentally handle braces? You know, what does that mean? Well, that night, braces suck. You know, they hurt your teeth. Can they mentally handle the fact that they're going to hurt your teeth? And then can they physically keep the teeth clean? So those are our four pillars that we talk about in our practice. And that goes into doing the right thing. So I always say our practice is really mature. What does that mean? When people come in to watch us, we have visitors all over the country that come in and watch us. Our patients are older. So we have 13, 14-year-old, 15-year-olds in braces. Like I always tell people, my guys are going to go to high school with braces on. Most of the time, our girls can get out of braces before high school because girls, you know, they, they get into adolescence earlier on in middle school. So by and large, you can get them done. But we have a very mature practice. So we're constantly trying to do the right thing. You know, when Jay brought up, you know, education and curiosity, I love the quote. I believe it was by um, uh, Mr. Bennett, but he said these things right here. He said, listen with curiosity, speak with honesty, and act with integrity. I mean, the problem in our world, especially when we're doing things really quick, social media, we're on, we're on sites for 10 seconds before we leave them. The problem is, is when we communicate, we're listening to reply. We don't listen to understand. And when you really look at that mother and you're listening to them or that child or that father, and when you really listen, like Mr. Bennett said, when you, when you listen to understand, it, it helps your communication. So that's, that's another thing we try to do. And that transcends to everything. It makes every situation better. Yeah. <laughs> Just taking that second. Yeah, uh, absolutely. 
it's, it's remarkable how many conversations you have with people and you're just sitting there, you know, I do it. I do it all the time. I did it with Jay last night where it's just, you know, you go through the Rolodex of what do I say to this? And, and, and it's, and it's suddenly almost like a templatized conversation. They say this, thus you say that, and then on it goes. And it's something of a doom loop. And, yeah. you know, it, it really kind of begs the question, how much authenticity is out there these days? Because we're, we're fed with ideas and thoughts, the things that we see in social, and we're programmed ways of responding to a thing. Even the little pithy catchphrases we say, like, nailed it, whatever it may be, just goofy little things. And it's like, when I find those things coming out of my mouth, it's like, I'm like, I'm sorry, Jay, I shouldn't have said that. That was, that was programmed. Let's say something authentic in this conversation. And, 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 you know, if I'm, if I'm hearing you right, what you just said, based on your, you know, your conversations that you have with your patients and the pillars that you defined and not getting pre-programmed with what they heard from a, a orthodontist up the street, you're framing it so that the only possible thing that can come out of your mouth is authentic in those conversations. Absolutely. And it's hard, Judd. You know, when I see an 11 year old boy, because this happens and they've got all their 12 year molars in and they're by and large ready for braces, they check those top two boxes, no baby teeth, 12 year molars, but the bottom boxes aren't checked. And I tell the mom, I'm like, I get paid nothing to tell you, let's wait a year. And Dr. Baker has a picture of his family in our consult rooms. And I have a picture of my family in my consult room. And I always point to my 10 year old daughter. She's going into fourth grade. She has a centimeter over jet, one centimeter, 10 millimeters. And I have not treated her. And I look at them with authenticity. And I can say, in all honesty, I'm treating you exactly like I'm treating Piper right there on that wall. And I'm waiting for Piper to do mandibular advancement when she's in adolescence. And, you know, when you lead with that foot forward over and over again, because people can pick up Judd on authenticity. They know whether or not you're authentic or not. And when you speak highly of other people around you, I mean, I've got great orthodontists around me. I'm like, that is a great plan. That is a great orthodontist. You know, over here, I, I see things a little differently, or I may see things the same. I may be in agreement. But, you know, when you do that, the word of mouth comes from that. You know, there's so many similarities to college football recruiting and an orthodontic consult. Stay with me for a second, because, you know, I, I, I'm SC, Pete Carroll, love right are you talking about the coach going into the family room and meeting with the parents yes yeah totally this is what this is this is the same right and because you can assume that that family and that kid has already met texas a&m florida state alabama now here comes university of north carolina right mac brown todd bovenizer what do you say that's different how do you segregate in it but it's like if you go in with the mindset of how can i win this kid that ain't it Right. It, you go with the mindset of here's the University of North Carolina. Here's how we do it. Here's what we stand for. I'm not going to say anything bad about University of Alabama. You know, that's Saban's a wonderful coach. This is how we do it. You've got a choice. Now, here's what we do well. Yeah. 
and then let the child choose. Right. And, and that's one thing that I used to love that Pete Carroll did in, in the day is like negative recruiting is always a feature of war. Yep. Um, I would assume there's a lot of negative consults happening out there, depending on who, who you're talking to. And it's so easy to go there. And we're, I mean, we're, well, this conversation is transcending consults, of course. I mean, we're talking about people and interactions and that type of thing as well. But what I love that Pete did, and it sounds like it's what you do. It's like, I'm not going to talk about the University of Alabama. We're talking about the University of Southern California here. Here's how we do it. We're, we're academically excellent. You're going to be a four-year. You're going to be a Trojan for life. You know, we have, we're top 25 U.S. News World Report school. By the way, I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm pumping it. I see here, but you, on and on and on, right? And, and it's like, we'd love, to, we'd love to work with you. Give me a call if you're interested. Yeah. Full stop. And, and that, that usually, even if it's not a win, it's a win. Yeah, I think so many people get worried about everything around them. But if you can get laser focused with what's going on in that family room, in that console room, and just look them in the eye, it's it's communication. Yeah. And if you just forget what's going on around you and just take care of what's right in front of you in a real way, you know, maybe they don't come to you. Maybe they're looking for something cheaper. We, You and I, so Jay, I'm sorry, I, I hope I'm not derailing here, but um, Todd, so Todd and I worked together at uh, Ormco. Uh, on multiple things. Yep. And when we were working on the Damon Ultima project, we knew the price was going up. Todd, and Todd was right there at Ground Zero supporting on, all, on the project. He was just critical for everything, um, along with Dr. D, of course. Um, and I still remember a conversation around, okay, price is going up on the bracket uh, for various reasons. Um, and how do we think about this conversation? Does it get passed on in the consult and so on and so forth? And, and you know, how do you frame this to the patient in the consult with, with this new device? And I still remember, it's, it's, it's kind of ironic, this conversation now is so akin to that conversation. We're talking about the tools you use in your practice in the earlier part of our conversation. And we're talking about, forgive me if you guys got a jam. Um, and we're talking about, you know, what's important and how we think about it using the world-class device. And, and now you're using it. And, mm -hmm. and, and you were there at kind of ground zero on how to narrate it to the patient. Um, how, how might you, I mean, you, you've been critically involved in product development over the years mm -hmm. or various projects. How do you think about the patient when you're involved in a product development conversation with a company like Ormco. And, 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 you know, let me back up before you answer that question. Historically, a company like Ormco would look at an orthodontist and say, how can we help this solve your problem? I'd say in recent memory, particularly with Ultima, it was the patient was as much the segmentation as the orthodontist in that equation. Efficiency, appointments, right? Things like this. Um, something you have to consider an added cost on a product. Does that go forward to the patient? Does it not? So on and so forth. How do I reconcile that against aligners versus brackets and wires? Where's my, where's my cost delta? Is it, it's kind of a, a vagary, but how much you think about that? I don't think about it at all, really. I don't think about the products I'm using and I don't, I don't think about the cost of treatment. We're raising, we're raising our fees yearly, you know, anywhere from, two to four percent 
a year and we set our fees accordingly. But I, the first thing I try to do is just going back to authenticity is I try to, I try to, to get people to commit to me and Dr. Baker and our team, not the bracket, not the wire, not the glue, not anything else is, Hey, well, you the, the products you're using is only as good as the individual behind them. You know, am I bracketing my 12 year molars? You know, am I, you know, and 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 we're constantly looking at efficiency, Jed. And that's one of those metrics we do at our D-band report. When I write the report to the dentist, you know, how many appointments do we see them? And that's, you know, if it takes me 20 times to get it done, it takes me 20 times to get it done. Yeah. You know, I want at the end of the day, I want it done right and I want it done well. And I want to be able to tell the dentist exactly what we did in treatment. But I would like to get it done in 11 visits. And, you know, I was talking to Jay earlier and, you know, what I'm finding is I'm finding people that are coming to our office from an hour away, you know, sometimes an hour and a half away. And I'm really focused on, you know, how can we use monitoring, you know, virtual monitoring to bring patients to our practice that are driving over, you know, past 20 orthodontists, but they're looking for a specific product. And how can I deliver that product with ease in the upcoming, you know, tidal wave of monitoring? I mean, Judd, that's right in your territory of, you know, that's what the orthodontic world is going to be embraced with in the future is monitoring virtually. And, you know, people, people are willing to fly, drive to certain people to get certain type of treatments. And that's what's really getting me excited with Jay is how to focus on going into the living room of people that are an hour away from me to get gummy smile impaction or, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And hey, I can do that with a virtual platform. I can see you live, but I can also see you virtually as well. Yeah, I just had a conversation before this conversation with Harrison about the exact same thing, actually, Jay. And we'll be writing an article about this very topic and in, in the in the the timeline of orthodontia. And yeah. you know, first cases being treated, you know, dark ages with with whatever contraption, and just how much everything's accelerated in the last five years. I mean, five years, what's happened in the last five years could have encapsulated 200 years for just how massive this, this sea change has been, particularly with monitoring. Um, my hypothesis is, is that you're right, and this will be standard of care in five years. And, and I do believe that if not sooner, um, and I think the real question is how, how is the patient going to find out about this? And that's, that's where it starts to get really interesting because that's really what changes the way the sea, the, the waves crash and the sea flows. And, and we saw that with Invisalign, there's a precursor here. And you know the way in which the bouncing ball fell down the hill for the patient to find out about aligners. Um, and then what compelled you know, them to come in towards it. Um, I think in all likelihood, that's happening. Uh, it's just it's just a matter of time. So w whatever work you're doing with Jay, it sounds very prudent. Well, and I'll and I don't want to you know get too off track, but people think of monitoring with plastic clear aligners, right? But 
you know, I'm really interested in the AI with wires and brackets too. If I put an 18 by 275 wire in, so the 275 dimensions horizontally from the bracket base to the bracket door, and I can know exactly from an artificial intelligence standpoint if that wire is still expanding the patient. So if I've got complete control in an 18275 copper and I tie, and I've got a labial or lingual holding couple, and I'm just working on transverse and AP elastics, and I can work with the patient virtually just by drawing elastics and say, hey, instead of using the elastic from here to here, you're going to use it from here to here. And by the way, I can tell in the last month, you've expanded one millimeter each side. Right. So, I mean, it's just, well, it's, it's like going to be really Ward always said, you know, without, uh, you know, deflection, there can be no correction. And when yeah. the deflection stops, where are you? Well, it's time for something. If, yeah. if not a live appointment, an elastic, as you say, hook it to a bobo hook and off you go, whatever it may be. Right. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, obviously same rules apply with, with aligners. And, and, and I think, you know, what I can tell is orthodontists, um, yourself, with my partner, Dr. Warford, they're getting more resourceful with what you can do virtually in lieu of a live. Right. And, Sometimes you, you can you can really do some things like you mentioned with brackets and wires, just just with just with elastics to mitigate or even avoid multiple multiple appointments. So yeah. engage in the gate. The data is there with gauge average amount of appointments, brackets and wires in North America is 18. And that's in 2000 practices. Right. The average yeah. amount of appointments with aligners is 12. What you're proposing is cutting that in half or more for yeah. both. Absolutely. So uh, we only have 10 minutes left and I I really want to talk about, you know, the end game for a lot of orthodontists is changing, you know, with uh, OSOs entering the game and um, people wanting to go stay private and stay alone. You recently made a decision and you joined forces with Orthodontic Partners, an amazing organization. And I'm really curious about you know, how you came to that decision and what value you think it brings and kind of a, more about your partnership. Yeah, so OSOs came on the scene for me in March of 2020. And I was at a dinner in Mont-Tremblant uh, skiing and I met with Jamie Reynolds and we had dinner and I was like, no way, there's no way I'm ever going to consider that. And, you know, I started reflecting and I'll try to keep this short. I did a lot of research for two years because we came on board with Orthodontic Partners and uh, basically in January of 2022. So we've been with Orthodontic Partners for seven, seven months. And it's been a great, it's been a great marriage. But going back to 2006, I had all the goals I'd set out, I had kind of reached. And I used to tell people all the time, hey, I'm going to work on teeth and I'm going to practice until, until I'm 75 years old. And that changed with me. You know, I'm, I'm a faith-driven man. And I spend time in prayer and I spend time in the morning just, just kind of in a, in a lot of reflection. And my father, 
came down with severe dementia about five years ago. My dad, as you know, he was a pharmacist who worked 51 weeks a year all the way until he was 68 years old. And then he decided to retire, but dementia had already set in. So my dad worked all these years. And now I'm looking at my mom who lives a mile down the road from me because they moved down here. And I've got my dad in a long-term care facility. And he basically had no chance to enjoy life. So, you know, and then I have two good friends here. One's in urgent care and one's in optometry. And they were like, you know, they asked me about Baker. And I said, hey, you know, it was based on, you know, a percentage of production. And they're like, you know, it never hurts to see what your business is worth. And so I went on this two-year research journey and talked to a lot of different OSOs, kept spreadsheets on it, did a lot of just research and analysis. I reached out to a venture capital firm here in Raleigh, Sovereigns, a great venture capital firm, and got a lot of advice from them, got a lot of advice from Chris Benson, and just talked to a lot of people, went to Brad Kachara at McGill and Hill. And they're like, you know, Bergenizer, for you, I mean, they just walked me down both pathways. And I decided to join Orthodontic Partners because I wanted the camaraderie with my partners. I mean, I'm partners with Stuart Frost. I'm partners with Maz Mashiri, you know, one of the Invisalign giants. Uh, you know, Chris Cossi just came on board in, in, in Louisiana. And I've been using Braces Academy and Ortho Screening for years. Um, Jamie Reynolds, Jeff Kozlowski. I mean, the list goes on and Chad on. Chad Harrington. <laughs> yeah, Chad Harrington, stud, Indiana. Yeah. I mean, so David Sarver. David Sarver, are you kidding me? And then Tim Trulove. I mean, I took the ABO for the third time. I sent a case in and got certified again, was communicating with, you know, Dr. Trulove down in Alabama, who's on the ABO. Um, so I just looked at all the partners that we have, and we're not – we're a little bit different of an OSO model. We're not closing people every two weeks. I mean, we're very strategic about the partners that we go and get. And, and we're not for everybody. So orthodontic partners is not for every orthodontist out there. I mean, we're being very intentional about who's the right partner for us. And, you know, so ultimately that's why I did it is, you know, I would always, let, let me end with this. I would always go to these, you know, things where you rank what's the most important to you. And I would rank, you know, I'd write down on a piece of paper, hey, you know, God, family, and the list would go on and on. But when I really searched deep in my heart, my identity was in orthodontics. And it didn't matter what I said. My wife would look at me and she'd be like, you can say whatever you want to say. You've got three daughters here. And my identity was literally wrapped up in orthodontics. And I, I didn't want that when I was 60. You know, when people, when I, when I think about what I want people to say about Todd Bovenizer, what made him tick and things like that, orthodontists would certainly be a part of that but it would be on down the list. Um, and I needed to recalibrate what was important to me as an individual. And, um, you know, I've never looked back. Um, it's It's been a great process for us. We've got a, you know, an, a practice consultant with orthodontic partners who comes in. He just left uh, last week. He was in here for a week. 
and um, just helping us get better. And uh, it's exciting. I, I love it. It's it's an inspiring story. And you're right about, you know, thinking about my dad died at 51 and yeah. he worked his ass off. I mean, you know, definitely doesn't seem like the same kind of guy as your dad who seems incredible, but you know, same thing. You don't, if it, what's the point of working all that time and doing all those things, if you never get any time to do anything. Yeah. It's, it's completely pointless. And well, so, some, ortho, some orthodontists may want to work till 70. They may have no other hobbies. And I didn't do it for that. I mean, for me, it was a, it was a self-reflection of many, many different things. But I've got, you know, I, I'm sitting here literally looking at life at, you know, I'll be 48 this year. And I'm like, you know, what am I going to be doing in 10 years? I don't know. I have no idea. And, you know, I'm just listening and reading and studying and you know i'm open that's very still, i'm still doing what i'm i still do what i love you know it, nothing's changed with me on a practice side i mean i've got i've got clinical autonomy i mean if i want to use dental monitoring or grin it, it doesn't matter I, I can use whatever i want if i want to buy this product or that product i can i have all the clinical autonomy i need but from the back end hr support you know We've integrated with OrthoFire, which has been great for our office. We've we've switched over from OrthoTrack to Edge, which has been phenomenal. Our team has loved that. We're in the middle of a remodel. So I'm I'm with an OSO that's investing in my practice. I mean, they're remodeling our entire office right now. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. It's, it, that's quite a quite a bonus. And I, I will say, I mean, I, I had an amazing conversation with the head of marketing, Grace, at Orthodontic Partners, and she was so mm -hmm. smart. And they always have it together. When I went over to the booth at AAO, just talking to everybody over there, you can tell how invested they are. And they keep, you know, coming after the docs that I have relationships with. And that means that they're going after the best. And I really respect that. So con congrats on that, man. I'm, I'm really excited for you. And yeah, the fact thanks, that you have an open universe to, you don't know what your life's going to be. And that's kind of exciting, you know? Yeah. It could be a life of just giving back and, you know, just spending time with your family, or it could be helping other orthodontists. I mean, and that is yeah. what it's all about. And now Amen. we're going to go to Judd's favorite part of the show, yeah. which is his, okay. his Reddit breakdown. So Judd, I'm going to let you take it away. Thanks for sharing uh, before, Bobo. That was, uh, it's, it's cool to see how one serendipitous conversation and Montremblant could lead to, to an important life decision, but a reframing of, of what's important. Yeah. But that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's, it's a yeah. cool story. Um, okay, so we we do this on uh, every show and we, we like to hit our guests with some curveballs. And we've been waiting for, for, for a, a world-class ortho to put this stuff in front of them. And, and if you go on Reddit, there's subreddits on Invisalign, Small Direct Club, or, you know, and this one's called Orthotropics. And this is this phenomenon that happens in the patient community around mewing and uh, a gentleman named Mike Mew. Yeah. And there's piles and piles and piles of threads that it's, it's patients instructing each other and taking on guidance from uh, this philosophy around mewing to stabilize their jaw. And, you know, they, they've gotten to be somewhat 
they're consulting each other. Um, I would love to hear your take on mewing if you're familiar. Um, I got no idea what mewing is. Are we talking about a cow mooing or is that? (laughs) I mean, is this? Am I the only one that's not on? You said this came from Reddix. It came from Reddit. Yeah, Reddit. R e d d i x. I t. I t. We'll we'll get you in there. Yeah. It, they let orthodontists in there. Chewing gum and, and jaw clenching consistently can stabilize your jaw and divert asymmetry into into get. It's 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 this. It's kind of a bottoms up thing, and I see it a lot. These are all patients talking about it, but it, it appears to be a relatively hot topic. Every time someone posts, you'll see several comments and upvotes about, about mewing. About mewing. Okay. So, so it's going great, the Judge. question, <laughs> what is mewing? Um, <clears throat> and I am not 100% familiar with myself. So I think this is something on the next one I could do some due diligence mewing on. Mewing is the technique of flattening out your tongue against the roof of your mouth. Okay. And, and so it's that's, supposed- that's the definition of mewing. Over time, the movement is said to help realign your teeth and define your jawline. To properly mew, you must relax your tongue and make sure it's entirely against the roof of your mouth, including the back of the tongue. It's, it's a DIY teeth alignment strategy. Okay. It's a hard one, Todd. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So do you, do you want to know my thoughts on mewing or... How do you want me to go with this? Um, maybe we'll just start with, maybe we'll go a little bit more philosophical in this one and talk about patients on in communities communicating with one another about best practices for teeth alignment, AP correction, so on and so forth. Uh, if, if Dr. Bo's on this thread, what might you say to, to these folks? Uh, first off, I'd be very careful because people can be passionate mm-hmm. and, and passion's a good thing. Um, but my first take on, on mewing would be, you know, number one, you need to have professionals behind whatever you're trying. Now, granted, in this technique, it sounds like it's just the tongue and the position of the tongue in the patient's mouth. And, you know, the tongue is a functional appliance. I mean, the tongue is one of our strongest muscles that we have. I mean, for the past 40 minutes, I've been running my mouth with you two and my tongue has been moving constantly. And we all know that the tongue, you know, when we thrust our tongue, when we're young, you know, if I continually thrust my tongue against my teeth in a habitual motion, I can potentially move my teeth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if I sleep with my mouth open and my tongue goes back into my throat, I could potentially snore. And I saw somewhere in here about long, yeah, long face development. You know, growth and development, if we go back to Enlo, I mean, every orthodontist is, is familiar with Enlo. Inlow's growth and development. And we think about the Frankel appliance um, over in, in Europe and the Frankel and what it did. The Frankel basically got the soft tissue off of the teeth 
And the, the Frankel plants did, it can, is capable of doing wonderful things. So I think there is some merit to the tongue and, and tongue exercises into achieving something. Now, whether or not you can move teeth with a DIY with your tongue, I, 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 don't, I don't think that's going to be possible. Now, for me, it's funny. You know, what I try to do is I try to upright teeth. I mean, for me, I look at the journey I'm going to take a patient on, but I always think about the destination. Where's the destination I want to take a patient? Well, I want upright posterior teeth. So my my lower arch, I want the lower arch uprighted. I want a flat curve of Wilson. You know, if I take the ABO roller and I take my models from the inside and I put my ABO roller, if I've got a deep curve of Wilson, if my teeth are inclined towards my tongue, guess what? I get negative two, negative two, negative two. Mm. Pretty soon I'm going to fail that case. So for me, I want to upright my posterior segments on the low arch. And then I want to fit that upper arch over that. Again, I'm thinking about the destination. Mm-hmm. And what does that do? It repositions the tongue. But I'm using passive self-ligation. I'm expanding the arch. Patients tell me, I feel like I have more room in my mouth. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. I don't, I don't claim to be a sleep doctor. I mean, when people come to me, if people come to me about mewing, or something like that, I tell them, I'm like, time out. I'm not a real doctor. I'm not going to say I can cure your sleep, cure your snoring if you do orthodontics. Same thing with TMJ. When we look at all the meta-analysis out there, orthodontics doesn't help or hurt the TMJ when we look at all this, the, the research. So I tell people, don't go into this treatment for that. So I, I would tell those people online, be very careful um about what you're doing and don't expect to be cured by doing the mewing technique but i think i think the tongue is one of those most underrated muscles that we have it's incredible thank you for your feedback dr bovenizer thank you for your time today it's a pleasure you're always such an insightful guy with so many cool tips if anybody is interested in learning more about the uh, Bovenizer Baker Orthodontics. You can go to bovbakerortho.com. That's bovbakerortho.com. Check them out. If you're in the area, if you're within 200 miles of this orthodontic practice, you really should make a consultation and go see them because they are incredible. Judd, thank you so much for being here as always. If you're interested, if you're a dental clinician and you are looking at dealing with malocclusions in four appointments or less, and you want to add orthodontics to your practice, go to ondemandorthodontist.com. If you're looking for digital marketing for your orthodontic practice, make sure to visit brainbitescreative.com. Thank you for everything, everybody. On behalf of the Get It Straight podcast, I'm Jason Sorotin. We'll see you next time.